0: Welcome to A Living Mind. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest today is Lamal. Now Lamal was the lead singer of the band Kajigugu, who had the massive worldwide hit Too Shy back in the 80s. Following the release of their album White Feathers, Lamal was unceremoniously fired. We talk about that. That was an episode of VH1's Bands Reunited. We talk about his experience in that show. Lamal's enjoying a little bit of a resurgence these days thanks to Stranger Things, which had the memorable scene featuring his song, The NeverEnding Story. We talk about that. We also talk about the making of that song. Too Shy is also enjoying a resurgence thanks to Black Mirror, American Horror Story. And Lamal is set to release his latest single, actually this Friday, called London for Christmas. We talk about why he chose to record an original Christmas song as opposed to Covering one of the endless Christmas songs out there. Mal, really nice guy. He talks Breaking Bad of all things as well. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with him. Lamal, so your your latest single comes out this Friday, London for Christmas. Why would you go the original route as opposed to the typical recording White Christmas and whatnot?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, it's always been a songwriting challenge of mine. Um, the idea to tackle the subject that's been tackled a million times. You know, as a songwriter, that was just that was such a huge challenge. And to find a new angle, um, on the best fifth period is probably almost impossible and um, I I know a, a sort of jazz singer pianist from the Savoy Hotel in London uh, John Nicholls and um, we were doing some other writing at the time uh, and no, wonderful no pressure just kind of being creative throwing ideas around having lots of chats over tea and the break um, and uh, it just organically came it was wonderful and uh you know that it, it, that's how it came it, it's just a, a wonderful songwriting um moment really for us
0: yeah and and i don't know how it is in in london but in in here now it seems like christmas is coming super quickly all the time it's they promote it like in October, some stations turn over to Christmas music in November. Um, and I know in London they have the, it's very important for the yes number one song in on Christmas charts. And I never really knew about that until I saw the movie Love Actually.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, so... Well, that's uh, changed.
1: That, that's changed actually, um, Noel, because... Nobody really looks at the charts anymore.
0: Right. <laughs> uh, the
1: sh- the biggest TV show at the time, Top of the Pop, doesn't exist. Okay. Uh, I think they do. They might do one one special at Christmas, but the internet has changed everything, and um, it it's just not it's just not that important. Maybe it's my age. Right, yeah,
0: <laughs> mine too. <laughs> the kids
1: watch it, I don't know. But, um, I mean, I haven't watched the charts for like 20 years. So right. It, it just becomes less and less important, especially when we went through that period, uh, it probably doesn't happen the same in the day where songs go in at number one here, and then they drop the following week. So you've had a number one that no one's heard, no one knows, no one's familiar with, because all the fans rushed out and bought it. Right. But the charts in England, are base, hundred uh, percent on sales. Now I think in America it's based on sales and airplay. Yeah. yeah. And so here people like me, lots of my generation, um, just lost interest in the chart. Because you'd have a number one record and you you know and then it was gone. So it, it became like that you know? in the old days a number one really meant something. You You know, it it had to get played on radio. People had to like it. People had to go out and buy it. And it just and like you say, Christmas. All stuff feels like it's coming around so quick. So we just live in a more and more of a one thick world, and some of it's good and some of it,
0: right? Yeah, no, it's it's the same way here. With I mean, obviously, with the radio plays and stuff like that, but. With streaming now and the internet, it's, it's changed the whole lens, lens of the uh, industry.
1: It, uh, you know, I resisted um, the internet for a long time because I'm so busy. Right. I just thought, oh, I can't be dealing with that stuff that's going on in the TV. And um, I thought I signed up about three years ago, I think it's four cool now. And uh, it's wonderful. You know, all these people connect from every corner of the globe. Right. Um, I like that corner of the globe.
0: Sorry, I'm just laughing at myself. <laughs> I recently had uh, Amer Halim on, who was the host of the Bands Reunited, and we were talking about like which of our what, our favorite shows of during that uh, series, and I told him that your episode with Kaji was my all-time favorite, because just watching you perform at the end of the show, just like the, the sheer joy of you performing, really, really got to me, and I was really excited for you. What was that experience like, like behind the scenes and leading up to the performance?
1: Um, Bands were united, yeah. Um, that was the... I think, I think all the, members, the band members, the Koja Gugu band members, were great. Because I think we knew that basically we were sort of washing our dirty linen in public to a certain degree because TV reality shows were just getting so popular. Right. But I think there was a challenge in can we do this? Can we, can we overcome our, um, emotional, excess emotional baggage? um E E B and and I think, you know, and as you say, the idea of of, of performance together for the um, first twenty years to, I think it was twenty five years actually. Um but it's now thirty five years and when up to the third is completely was released. So um it was challenging Benzu um, United, but I, I, I was kind of interested in how they were gonna face me, right? You know, because I'm the guy. I mean, everybody knows I'm the guy that got the call, that got fired. Um, and I never, I never understood it, right. And so, because I, in my mind, I hadn't done anything wrong. My, I had a, I had a diary full of, 12 months worth of anything and everything to do with the group. And so, it was such a shock and out of the blue. So, I, in a way, I was kind of, oh well, this this might be interesting. Wonder what they're going to say. And of course, the big statement for me was when the drummer said, "On camera." we fired the wrong guy, we should have fired the manager. Right. And um, he said it on camera, he admitted it, I don't know. If the others felt exactly like that, but, you know, I'm glad we did it because I did want people to know
0: the real reason
1: why the band split up and that it wasn't me being the egotistical lead singer was just going off on his own, uh, that I didn't have any choice. And so it was nice to get that story out, you know, and um, of course the big irony of it all is, if I hadn't left the group, you know, the group hadn't split up, I'm not sure I would have been able to record the never-ending story. True, you
0: know, you're right. I would
1: have been, I'd have been too committed to the group, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like, maybe you guys would have had another, you know, White Feathers album which is fantastic, but you, you wouldn't give true. you wouldn't give him the world's Never Ending Story. So you might have had more success in another path, but not bring the world that song, which is is fantastic and is actually enjoying a resurgence now thanks to uh, Stranger Things.
1: Well that we all have um everybody's got those what right in their life you know, and that is one of my biggest. What if we had stayed together? What if we had made a second album? Um, I'll never know.
0: Yeah. But, uh, what was that experience like, like recording White Feathers? You know, had like had Nick Rose producing, uh, and the album is, is fantastic, and I, I still listen to it a lot, you know, now.
1: I, I haven't heard the White Feathers album for a long time, and, um, I, for some reason, I stumbled on it. That's probably on one of the streaming sites. Right? Yeah, it is. And, yeah, yeah. no, it, I think it was on one of the streaming sites when I sort of stumbled on it. I just was in a car, and I hit play. And, okay. And I, I, I really enjoyed it. What I enjoyed was, of course, I've got the memories, but and, and that's very nostalgic for me, but I loved the, the analog there's an analogue sound about it, you know, we recorded before digital came in around late 80s everything started changing with computers early 90s, but um, you know, it was still analogue tape and it brings a warmth and then there was a the really great engineering skill of Colin Thurston, who was the ceramic musician. and I hear that, that's what, that's what excited me um, you know, I'm not I'm not being sycophantic here when I say, you know, I li- I listened to it and I enjoyed it, I was listening to other things. I think it's sort of a, what I like about it is it seems to epitomize it falls into that lovely early eighties band, you've got so humanly and we were using um, uh, to a certain degree the technology of the time which was Early synthesizers and from machines like the Kios Roland TR909, um, the doctor 808 the Korg Pro One monophonic uh, synthesizer, and then the very exciting Roland Jupiter A. This was so exciting that you could play this electronic keyboard that played more than one note. Initially, it was one note and, um, it was, it was, I mean, the experience, I was, I was 22, I was, it, with, like, my favorite at Christmas, <laughs> and, it's, it, it's wonderful to be part of a collaborative creative process, you know, it's the sum of the parts, so you had, the four musicians who were all, you know, the keyboard players into, uh, Meet College of Music in the UK, and we all know about Nick the Bass Player, very innovative kind of um, searching for that sort of originality. A funky dude, really. Uh, And then that amazing process of um, throwing ideas into the pot and then chucking them out, keeping bits. Staring it around a bit more like the recipe of a cake or something. And, you know, two shy didn't happen overnight. There were two demos before the actual final recording. <laughs> but we tidied it up a bit, right. you know, and we went through that process sort of like learning a, to ride a bike. But that's why it is there's no bottled formula or for making a want for want of a better term a hit record. It's just stumbling really, searching, 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 and stumbling on something, then you go wow, and that's very really exciting doing at the time right. being steered by Negroes and Duran having him there just lent such the weight the project that they were having so much stuff at the time right. and knowing that we were in the capable hands of him and their producer you know everybody needs luck in life you can have masses of talent you can have um, the right product you also need luck and um, my meeting Nick Rose at the Embassy Club in London, where I was a waiter, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I gave him a cassette, and he said he he reached down and let me know. I can't believe it when he found me a wee place. I nearly fell on the floor with excitement.
0: Yeah, you, you talk about what ifs. Like, what if you didn't see him that day? You know, it's 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 amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean. A celebrity back then really meant something right you know famous people were never seen they were they were mysterious they were they were unattainable so to get a phone call from nick Rhodes. it says i literally nearly dropped the phone the phone was on the wall so i could,
2: actually i couldn't have dropped it <laughs> i remember the, <laughs> the hand piece on the cable you right.
1: know and then the, the, the next call after that was to the band and it was, you know, OMS Nick Rose's performance said he liked the songs and was gonna take it into EMI records. And it really it all it all had to go feels looking back, it feels like it had so quick, but it didn't really, really. I I was living with a bass player and his girlfriend for about eighteen months
0: wow. before that
1: i had been i doing lots of singing all kinds of what
0: W- what songs were on that cassette that you gave me? Was it the whole album, or was it just like Too Shy and a couple other ones?
1: Too Shy was not on that date. Oh wow. That for sure. Um, off the top of my head, okay. Now you're really testing my memory. This <laughs> um, car is fast. Um, White feathers. Blue the beer was on there? I think. It's the second signal in the UK got to number seven in this one. Um weight charge meant. Right. <laughs> Um, I can't remember the fourth song. I could email the band and find out. Um, we don't communicate that much anymore, but we are on speaking terms. Oh, that's good. I know that Nick is a, the bass player, and Nick is a Frank Zappa fan. And I saw that Frank Zappa was playing, or his son was playing at the, um, London Palladium. And I sent him an email and I said, I thought, I thought he'd be interested in this. He replied and said, already got my ticket, but so thanks. Oh, okay, so, that's nice. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, I think Nick's yeah. touring with uh, Howard Jones now, right?
1: Well, Nick's worked with Howard many times. Right. Just, well, yeah. And he's been doing some, like, prog rock stuff for a couple of years, which I think he needed to get out of his system. <laughs> he loves all that. Right. So maybe he maybe to go back to it. I'm sure it's creatively very challenging because it's,
2: I think it's less formulated
1: than songs. um, Not for songs to formulate, but you know what I mean. No, I do, yeah. Sometimes it's a bit bit more of
0: a formula. What were you listening to? Like when you were growing up, who were some of your influences?
1: Oh, 100% Mozart. Right. 100%? Yeah. Um,
0: I'll
1: tell you the reason why. there was a Northern Soul there was a, a, there was a music movement um, in the UK called Northern Soul and one of the big clubs was in my hometown in Wigan and for some reason I managed to get in there at like 16 and I think you had 16 to get in but you couldn't drink something like that they had a singing contest, and I, I won it um, I was desperate. <laughs> that yeah. was just... Anyway, I I used to save all my money from whatever job, school job I was doing, and go and buy my single at the local record store. For mm-hmm. me, that was like going into Harry Potter world or something
2: as <laughs> a Just the smell of the record shop used to get me excited.
1: And what record am I going to buy this week? You know. <laughs> so um. When I won the singing contest at the Wigan Casino, I, I sang a song called Under My Thumb by Wayne Gibson, which was a Northern Soul song hit, if you like, that was later covered by the Rolling Stones, okay. but years later. But, um, I did Under My Thumb by Wayne Gibson, and I got ten albums of my own choice. Now, you talking to a guy who could barely afford a single. <laughs> My family had no money. You know, they were quite poor. And we just got by. And so, to get ten albums. So I, I went into the record store, and half of me loved the music, and half of me loved the artwork design on those early Motown great hits. Right. There were so many fantastic songs on them. I remember the artwork. You know, back in the days, I mean, an album with its artwork was, it was a big deal, wasn't it? It was, yeah. 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 So yeah, um, I, ten, I I 10 albums, and a, a good portion of them were Motown's greatest. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, something <laughs> like that. Right. Um. Yeah.
0: Yeah, a, a lot and of like...
1: I was into Kate Bush, okay. Barry White, The Carpenter's, I mean, how about that for a combination?
0: Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, yeah, a, a, lot, yeah a, a lot of uh, British artists always point to Motown artists as, like, their inspiration influences. You know, it, it's hard to find one that doesn't. You know, they they had a great
1: songwriting team in Holland, Asia, Holland. I know there were other writers. But, so, I mean, I I actually kicked off a big box on the end of the... Um, mm-hmm that I did in America last year. I went to the Hitsville Museum in Detroit. Right. And uh but God, God that was exciting for me. Yeah. I delayed my trip back to the UK by a day so that I could go and do that. <laughs> right. And um I took some pictures and Facebook and Instagram and stuff. Um but yeah, the piano is still there, you know, thing it made all that huge sound. I learned when I was there that, you know, very gaudy. In the end, he owned about six properties on that street. They were all doing different things, and it was like almost 24 hours. People writing songs, people doing arrangement, mm-hmm. that, school of woman, so on. Bit mm-hmm. like, I think, probably already noticed, but it's quite well documented. The the I—it uh, was for him. It was like the the, the Ford Motor Star. He did the same thing, but of music instead
0: of cars. Right. Yeah. Did you ever like think about recording like an album full of like Motown hits?
1: An album of Motown.
0: Yeah. Did you ever think about recording one? I I it's too sacred.
1: It's too sacred. you know it's all about an energy and a, an energy and a sound of the late 50s and 60s and I mean at the moment there's a cover version out of Roger Stewart and a British star called Robbie Williams
2: right
1: I think it's a song called and I don't like it I I think it, it cheapens the original song right you know but it just sounds to formulate There was something about. Sometimes it's very hard to go back and recreate a magic, you know, that was there for a number of reasons. It might be, you know, it's that it's that the link in the chain. It's the pieces in the digital puzzle. Is it the engineer? Is it the recording equipment? Is it the orator is it the songwriter is it the song is it the singer's voice and you put all of those things together in a pot and some, sometimes the basic take in it is absolutely amazing
2: right,
1: right. There's a, like I said before they're often accidents there's a certain skill of course but I think there's a lot of you know Motown songs B-sides and things like that that I've heard that weren't great I think there's probably as many songs That weren't great as there were that was great. They used to apparently have these weekly meetings deciding what would be a hit and we'd get
0: everybody in there. Now, now speaking of a hit and magic, a never ending story, Uh, how did you come about um, recording that and meeting Giorgio Morona? (laughs)
3: You <laughs>
1: Never-ending story came about because EMI Records, that I was signed to at the time, asked me to go to, uh, the Tokyo Music Festival, which was a very big event that would have a live performance at the Budokan Hall in Tokyo, and then a live TV audience, some crazy figures, you know, like 50 minutes, And, um the just broke up, and it was my first solo single that I would be performing a song called Only for Love. And of course, I said yes. Yeah. While I was there, I met Georgia Merida. Now, my manager at the time, Billy Gaff, who was manager of Roy Stewart actually, who was paid uh, was a feisty personality, Irish guy who had almost lived a hundred lives already going big parties and infamous really in the London thing Billy went for dinner with Giorgio and I didn't realise at the time because I was too young I was 23 but looking back I can just hear Billy telling Giorgio that L- Lamar was going to be the best thing his life, bread. that you need to work with him <laughs> blah 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 because that was Billy he was he had a way of selling, you know, and and he was a fun guy. And of course, he was probably very charming when there was fucking great stories. And then six weeks later, I was back in the UK, and uh, a fall came through from Georgia's office. Would I like to try my voice on this, um, this movie song that Georgia was working on? Uh, I was kind of a little pert- perturbed by the idea that they were trying my voice. I was thinking, well, hang on. I just said uh, the number one all over the world was too shy. Right. Why don't they try me? What do they mean by trying me, you know? <laughs> right. So, so there was a little bit of that youthful bravado um, going on. But anyway, I got on. I did as like, yeah, I was told, I'd They had on that plane, starting to do an Irish accent here. Get on that plane and get over there into the barn. So um, yeah, I, 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 I had like, I remember I had four hours sleep that night, something. you know, been out late, parking a bit, smoking back then. I'd had some drinks. I was late for the flight, but like, I managed to get on board. Things were different then, of course. You could literally run down the, run down to the gate ten minutes before they shut the door and they'd let, they'd let you on. And, uh, when I got to Munich where we recorded the song, um I was tired and <laughs> my, my voice wasn't working. And, uh, we tried the song in the afternoon and it, I wasn't getting it, it wasn't working. And I did, I did something, oh dear, i blown it. But Georgie was very cool and he said, um don't bloody limb,
2: you know, he's got like, Italian accent. Right. And, uh, he
1: called me Lim. <laughs> Don't worry, Glenn, look, we have some food, a little drink, uh, we try again, you know. <laughs> of course, he was probably panicking himself now. Right. the wiser that? see that? But it, 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 was, you know. He sort of relaxed I me, mean, we had some wine. And thinking is an evening thing, really, you know. Um, it it's, tough. I mean, I, I did a TV show, um in Europe a couple of weeks ago, and I was about to sing at midday. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, you know, right. singing a thing. So as soon as we hit, like, 8 o'clock, I nailed the song. <laughs> and I got told the next day back in the UK that he woke up in the morning and listened to it, and he said he liked it. And he it to it. Yeah,
0: because that song is, like, so unique, you know, just the way... It- it fades out fades in it's 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 it makes it seem like it's almost like never ending so to speak
1: well i think that was his idea right but in america actually the fading intro caused a problem of radio and we got this uh feedback that radio doesn't like the fading but there are a few um you know i didn't know at the time but i've learned since there's a few great records over the fading now one of them off the top of my head is um, Stepping Up by Joe Jackson
0: yes yeah
1: great song and it fades in you know you can't you can't you, you can't judge a record whether it just starts or whether it fades in I, right there is one other I can't remember what it is I've written it down somewhere is, is it Whitey Shared of Tale by a vocal Harlem or something not sure but anyway but um, yeah, the
0: fade in. Yeah. Do you think? Because I mean, that and song was, was that song was like number one around the world, but it hit like top twenty in the U.S. Do you think maybe that kind of caused why well, it only reached like seventeen? I think it was in the states.
1: Yeah, I think there was some resistance, right. you know, top forty radio with the very public bureaucratic rule. Ah, yeah, I can just hear them. I right, fade in. Don't <laughs> add it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But, like, were you? Um, how did you find out that the, sh- the the song was being used on Stranger Things?
1: Um, my nephew, twenty-three, my sister's son, uh, sent me a message. Right. watch that. and uh, I hadn't seen it. I know I don't watch a lot of TV. Okay. Um, I like movies. I see, you know, I see movies. Uh, TV box sets are, are, tough. You know, you got to commit. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. I remember doing the whole box set of Breaking Bad, and I regretted it because it just took up too much time, and I really didn't like season two, three, and four and five
0: as much as I like season one yeah the, the first season was, was tremendous but yeah there were, there were a lot of like dull you know spots but I thought the finale was fantastic though the
1: finale was amazing yeah I was, I was the only reason it kept me going I wanted to see what happened in the end and I didn't want to just jump to it you know right but when that, when that machine gun came out of the van just,
0: just oh that it was fantastic was awesome. yeah that was fantastic
1: it was awesome Stranger of Things has created a whole new generation of kids that have discovered Never Ending Story. Just five years after it first came out, right. I did a, a gig, I did a private gig in um, Hartford, which is about um, 40 miles north of London a few weeks ago. And I got to the end of the set, and I, uh, I started talking about Never Ending Story, and suddenly about half a dozen kids who were there, there with a the parents that's a private birthday party um in a very nice venue and these kids all came running and they were just standing there looking at me but <laughs> so I couldn't wait. You know the the, 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 the the look on their faces was the, it was just palpable, you know. And then the song started and they went crazy. It um, and I just did a gig at the weekend in the Czech Republic. And when I got to Never Any Story, I looked down and the, there's always like a VIP area where, not VIP, but there's an, there's always an area in front of the stage in a big venue that's about 8,000 people. And you've got members of, you know, you've got relations of people involved, or the crew and their family, or, you know, or VIPs from the radio station or whatever it is. And suddenly I looked down, and again, it was exactly the same thing. It's from running in, you know, 8, 9, 11-year-olds, and just so excited about hearing every new story, which is a thrill for me. Right.
0: Absolutely thrill. Yeah, and especially the way the show did it, you know, it was very, like, pivotal to the plot, too. So, and you know, the song was great, and I'm so glad of that it's, like, reaching another, you know, generation, so to speak but uh, yeah Too Shy also has been in Black Mirror it's been in a show called American Horror Story so a lot of your music is having a great resurgence now
1: I know and this is not something that I could control yeah. it's not something that was predicted I couldn't plan for it it totally came out of the blue by surprise and I've said you know I've been asked about it and it feels like Christmas present that you weren't expecting because all your music that you did 35 years ago to suddenly reach a new audience and have this new relevance it's this wonderful um, endorsement of all that hard work that you did and that creativity because you know in one sense it can be a cruel world where people say he or she is a has-been right. isn't anymore or whatever and um without any input from me other people have kind of endorsed it and that's just it's, the
0: best. Yeah, it's the best yeah absolutely and do you think now like since they'll they've heard those two songs they'll rediscover maybe your other albums that were very like i wouldn't say kind of forgotten in the states because i i enjoyed both your first two solo albums i thought they were great but they kind of went like, you know, unnoticed in the States. You think maybe this will kind of cause resurgence in those as well?
1: Wow. Um, God, I haven't even thought about the solo album. I have often thought that I would like to re record, revisit some of those early songs. Right. Because, yeah, because I think, I think that. My voice has a little bit more, a bit more lived in, like a, a bit like a leather jacket when it's new, it's, when it's worn in, it's a bit better, you know. I, I like the sound of my voice now, I think I'm a better singer, a better phraser, Um of course technology's different, and, and, and production's different, I think it'd be very interesting to revisit. That, that's more interesting to me than kind kind of pushing the old right material. um even even maybe you know even if i remix some i did a solo album with Giorgio, and I, I do like some of those songs but i think that when i hear my voice like right then it's so, so young right yeah. <laughs> you know and i'm i'm not young anymore <laughs> but i don't know i think it would be a wonderful challenge to Even if we could use the original production and then just re voice it, but that's the whole new challenge because tapes get lost. Right. There was a famous case, wasn't there recently, of a record of somebody that had a fire and all these amazingly valuable master tapes got got damaged or lost or whatever.
0: Yeah, well, if um, you're you're re recording sound as good as. London for Christmas then I think all the fans will be in for a real treat because you did a great job with that recording
1: I'm thrilled with that recording Um, Ian Ian Kerner, the producer is an experienced hand he really is and again a great keyboard player understands about um, blending and orchestrations it's a really good team effort and
0: I'm glad that you pointed that out. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it comes out this Friday. And I got one more question for you. Um, do you remember where you were the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio? Uh
1: huh. <laughs> um. Well, if I go really far back. Right. Um. So Catchy Goo Goo before the record deal. Our local radio station had a demo competition and we had an early demo of the song White Feathers and we sent that in on cassette and we won and they played it on the radio and they had a panel and the panel discussed what the top three songs were and why they chose it. And of course, they were all fascinated with the name of the band, (laughs) (laughs) which kind of, we hope that will be part of the appeal crazy name. but yeah and we all sat around the radio in this little town outside of about 50 miles north of london it's a little town called ladies and we all sat around the radio listening to this live and we, we already knew it was going to be on because we'd had the phone call to say that we'd won and it was going to be um up that night. and it was live you know so that was that was very very exciting putting of in terms of, I am sh- I'm almost certain of, um, BBC Radio 1 which is like the modern pop station.
2: right
1: and I think we got told that it was going to be played that afternoon and, and uh,
0: wherever we all were
1: you know because we weren't all together everybody listened and
0: yeah that's that's great uh, but check out London for Christmas uh, and check out all of other Lamal's work because it's all great as well as Kajigugu's first album Lamal thank you for your time today I mean I really appreciate it and uh, best of luck with the single and uh, hopefully we'll hear some new music coming out next year
1: hopefully no no you will because I've got I've got lots of things in the pipeline so thank you Noel for your support and the listeners and uh, watch this place for twenty twenty.
0: And a special thanks to Lamal for joining me today. Go check out London for Christmas. Comes out this Friday. If you want to follow him on Twitter, he's at Lamal underscore official. Lamal is his website. If you wanna follow me on Twitter, I'm at the first noel one Be sure to like the page of Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes. Check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes. Not a problem. show's on SoundCloud. It's also on Podbean. Go to livingmyyouth.threadless.com for all your merchandise. Holidays are right around the corner. They make great Secret Santa, Mystery Mench, or whatever you celebrate gifts. A new episode comes out every Wednesday, although we might have a... We might have a bonus episode this Friday, so be on the lookout for that. If not... We'll see you next Wednesday.